we do? What do we do? I'm starting dopamine and dopamine trips. We can use them together, right? What about Milrose? I don't know. You know, none of us know. Just start the what dopamine about, what and dopamine. Just That might help. Sorry, two seventeen. Who's an SVT? No, no, it is. Stop pumping. Stop. No, there's no change. We need that medicine. What medicine? I'll know it when I see it. I, I think the one that stops the heart. Here, hold the mask. Uh, I'll put it on my heart beating. No, no, no. It, it only stops your heart for six seconds. There it is. Adenosine. Uh, his heart is speeding off, guys. You guys, we have to do something. You cannot take this for much longer. What about shocking him? I don't. found it. Christina, yeah. come over here. Okay. Lift up his arm. The nurses always lift the arm when they push adenosine. It gets to the heart faster. It's okay. You're going to feel... Um, no, it's okay. It's okay. It just feels... Oh, my God. You're not going to die. I promise. It's just the meds. Okay, we're heading back to flatline. Are you sure we use the right one? The book said it was the right one. I use the one I know. You're not going to die, right? 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 Serious as a heart attack. You ever hear that expression? Somebody says, are you serious? You say, serious as a heart attack. When it comes down to real life, a heart attack is pretty serious stuff. Um, our daughter, Brayden, who's seven years old, had a chance to go inside of an ambulance uh, not too long ago. And they have one of those little portable EKG machines. And they hooked her up to it. And they have three patches a red, a white, and a black patch. And they put them in different places on your chest. And when they do that, and they, they're taking you to the hospital, they can actually run some preliminary tests. You probably don't know Braden because you probably don't know me, and you may not know Christy. So let me introduce myself. Uh, Doug and Janie were some of the first people that we had a chance to meet when we came to Palestine two years ago. And uh, I just thank Doug for giving me the privilege of bringing the word this morning. And uh, sharing a little bit with you about a heart condition. Uh, we've enjoyed getting to know them very, very much. They've been a, a big support for us in a lot of different ways and a wonderful friend, a source of friendship for our little daughter, Braden. Uh, I don't need to tell you how active their kids can be, and it just kind of permeates the energy level goes up every time they get together. Um, but that one day when she was sitting in the ambulance, they actually ran a test on her heart. Now, thankfully, her heart came out okay. She wasn't there by, as a matter of emergency, but one of education. But had there been a problem, those three patches would have been able to identify a little bit of where the problem might be. And in so doing, they would be in greater preparation at the emergency room to take care of her when she got in there, instead of waiting and just giving her a limousine ride with sirens and then start the work. They could actually run some preliminary tests to know where might those heart problems be. We want to talk today about a heart problem, about a heart condition. Because as serious as a heart attack is, that's only temporal. Even if you die, it could have eternal consequence, but it only affects our physical life. When I saw what they could do at a physical level, I started thinking, wouldn't that be a cool thing? If as believers, somehow we could hook up to a spiritual EKG machine and run a heart check and do some preliminary tests to see just what condition our heart is really in. Are we really as healthy as we think we are? And in maybe some other cases, are, are we really as unhealthy as we might think we are? Thankfully, we don't have to wonder about such a machine. 
because there actually is a heart test that we can run. And I didn't create it. If I did, I'd probably be, uh, I might actually be rich. I don't know. Um, but I, I would probably be doing something different than I am right now, but not all that much different. The fact is, the heart check was given 2,000 years ago. And if you do have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 13. Uh, if you don't, then you can just keep an eye on these screens because we're going to show you the scriptures. But as you're turning there, I want you to know we're going to take a look today at a scripture that is sometimes uh, misunderstood. Um, it's, it's usually not misapplied, but sometimes it's misunderstood. Sometimes a misunderstanding can create some some strange problems. Uh, that one of those misunderstandings came up for a guy by the name of R.D. Jones. Um, he was just simply trying to sell a sewing machine. But listen to the problems he got into. He put an ad in a local newspaper, Monday's paper, for sale. R.D. Jones has one sewing machine for sale. Phone 948-0707 after 7 p.m. and ask for Mrs. Kelly, who lives with him, cheap. <laughs> Not exactly the message you want to communicate. So Tuesday's newspaper. Notice, we regret having aired an R.D. Jones ad yesterday. It should have read, one sewing machine for sale, cheap. Phone 948 0707 and ask for Mrs. Kelly, who lives with him after 7 p.m. That's still not exactly what he wanted to say. So Wednesday's newspaper read as follows. Notice R.D. Jones has informed us that he's received several annoying telephone calls because of the error we made in his classified ad yesterday. The ad stands correct as follows for sale. R.D. Jones has one sewing machine for sale. Cheap. Phone 948-0707 after 7 p.m. and ask for Mrs. Kelly, who loves with him. <laughs> Thursday. Notice. I, R.D. Jones, have no sewing machine for sale. I smashed it. Don't call 948-0707 as the telephone has been out. I have not been carrying on with Mrs. Kelly until yesterday. She was my housekeeper, but she quit. So a simple little misunderstanding can create some major problems. It's really even more important when we're talking about a spiritual misunderstanding. And, and really what I'm talking about is in Matthew 13, what we have is a very simple parable. I'm going to read it to you, and then we'll talk about the misunderstanding. If you want, you can read it up on the screen. That same day... Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. Isn't it cool to be doing a sermon? Have you ever done a sermon from a boat? That, that's a whole new thing. And sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. He was scattering the seed, and some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Now, 
I do enjoy planting. I haven't had all the greatest success in the world, but I do enjoy planting. And one of the things I've got for my house is this little lawn spreader. Now, you can use this for fertilizer, and typically some people just call it a fertilizing spreader. But also you can put grass seed in there, and you can just spread the grass seed. The interesting thing about this little thing is it'll spread a path about maybe five feet wide. And so you're walking down your, your lawn, and it's just throwing the seed all over the place. This spreader is very helpful to me, but it's also very stupid because it doesn't know where it's spreading the seed or where it's spreading the fertilizer. If it's spreading fertilizer, Doug and I were talking, the, the problem comes when you, you spread those little things and it gets on the concrete. And if you don't brush it off right away, next thing you know, you got all these little white specks on the concrete because this is too stupid to know where it's throwing the stuff. It counts on the person actually pushing it to make sure it goes in the right spot. Same thing with spreading seed. You put seed in there and it's just going to spread seed everywhere. As long as you're pushing, it's spreading. It doesn't know that, well, you know, that's the concrete and we're really wasting seed on the concrete because nothing's going to grow. Now, I didn't inform you of anything this morning that, that you weren't already aware of. But the same idea is there in this passage. In fact, we, we talk about a, a broadcast today. We t- typically think about a radio or television broadcast. That term actually comes from spreading seed. You're broadcasting. You're casting your seed in a broad way. And it goes out all over the place. And that's what Jesus is talking about. In fact, at the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, there's a field. Uh, and I've actually had the privilege of being there. And it's amazing on that one field, which... For some strange reason, nobody has built any stores or houses or anything. It's just been an open field. And on that one field, there are paths that people have taken to go from the road down to the sea. There's other places where you see thorny stuff growing up. And there's other places where it's pretty good soil. It's just kind of a meadow. Well, if a sower went to sow in that field without doing anything to it, they would take their seed and out of a sack and grab a fistful of it and just throw it and take a few more steps, grab another fistful and throw it. Now, that seed doesn't really know where it's going. It goes wherever it's thrown. And Jesus is using that to teach us when that seed is thrown, the seed doesn't change. But the condition of where it lands makes all the difference in the world. What's the misunderstanding? Some people will look at this passage and say, this is only talking about the gospel. When we go and we present the gospel, different people will respond in different ways. And that is absolutely true by way of application. But there's more to the passage than that. And we know that because Jesus, who told the story, also tells the interpretation. Look what he says. In uh, Matthew chapter 13, let's talk about the hard ground first. We're going to look at four different types of soils or ground that Jesus talks about. In Matthew 13, it says uh, in verse 18, it says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom. And does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is a seed that is sown along the path. So what's the condition of the first 
type of soil. It's hard. What, what happens to it? Satan comes and just snatches it away. Now, I, I, some of you have probably seen the movie The Usual Suspects. I thought that was one great movie. It was one of those movies that kept you hanging all the way. There's a line in that movie that I, it was actually a quote from a French poet. And that is, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he did not exist. And we can read a statement like this from Jesus and say, oh, that's Satan stuff. That's, that's, you know, with Halloween coming up, come on, give me a break. It's just all kind of spiritual fantasy. The greatest trick he ever pulled was convincing people he did not exist. And one of the things that breaks my heart is I look at surveys by people like uh, uh, George Barna, who does surveys of Christians. It's amazing how many believers, perhaps some of you, who don't actually believe that Satan exists. C.S. Lewis had this to say. There are two equal and opposite errors into which we can we can fall about the devils or, or Satan, the demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. That's the fall into the trap of the first section. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. This I like. They themselves are pleased by both errors. And hail a materialist or someone who doesn't believe in Satan. Or a magician, someone who is totally fascinated and uh, obsessed with it, with the same delight. Either extreme is dangerous. Either extreme brings them delight because not everything is all about Satan. But the fact is, he does exist. And I, I'll speak for myself. I grew up in a very Bible church oriented kind of background. Lots of study of scripture. But it's amazing how much we didn't discuss the role of our enemy in the spiritual life. Some of you know very well the enemy is real. The enemy knows us. He's, he doesn't know everything. But, you know, if you go to play a football game and you watch those tapes of the, uh, the uh, not the enemy, but <laughs> your opposition, you watch those tapes long enough and you see their plays and you know where their weak spots are. Satan's been around a long time. And, you know, we haven't changed all that much. He knows where our weak spots are. And he goes after them. He goes after me. He goes after Doug. And you know he goes after you. How does he create or how do we allow that hard ground to develop that allows him to come in and just snatch up the seed without ever getting started? I can think of three different ways. One is just that hardcore atheist who, who just will not even hear anything about the word. How did that person get that way? My experience has been, and maybe you are in this category, my experience has been, if you've had hard times or someone you love has had hard times, the easiest way to respond to that, spiritually speaking, is saying, if God will allow that to happen, I don't want to believe in him, worship him, hear anything at all about him. I'm done with God. That's not the only way. And maybe some of you have responded like that in the past and Maybe you're here giving God a second chance. There are other reasons. Another one is maybe you know hypocrites. You say, you know what? I've seen Christians, and that's all I really need to know as to whether or not the spiritual life is real. I've seen enough of the hypocrisy. Saying one thing, going to church, 
and then living something out and treating me this way. Um, I love what Tolstoy had to say. He said, don't judge God's holy ideals by my inability to meet them. Don't judge Christ by those of us who imperfectly bear his name. And you know what? I'll take the liberty to speak for myself and for Doug and anybody in this room. We will let you down. Because not one of us is perfect. We serve someone who's perfect, but we aren't. Now, we ought to be, especially if if we're bringing forth the word, if we're spiritual leaders, we ought to be moving towards that ideal. But we would be foolish to say, look at us, we're absolutely perfect, we'll never let you down. We will. We will disappoint you. We don't want to, but we will, because we're as human as you are. But I love the way Tolstoy put it. Don't let that hinder you from seeing the one who is perfect. Look to him, not to us, for perfection. There's another thing that can create a hardness of heart. And that is, as believers, we can create a pounding and a pounding and a pounding in our own heart for a rejection of certain areas where we reject God's word. Uh, Let me give you a little example of that. We have a precious little dog. And that's our dog. Isn't she adorable? That's Abby, our English shepherd. And we love Abby. She's uh, two years old in one month. She'll be two years old. And we really do love her. She's a great dog. She's a smart dog. In fact, she is so smart that when she goes from our back porch to the gate around the side of the house, look at what she does. She stays on this four-inch path the whole time. Now, you should see her. Sometimes she'll just be trotting along. Other times she'll just be walking. Other times she'll be tearing up. If she hears somebody by the gate, she'll come flying around that corner. But no matter how fast or how slow she goes, she stays on this little four-inch track. And you know what? You can see by that picture... I've got a pretty nice backyard, but not on those four inches. Because even though we got St. Augustine grass, which is pretty tough grass, it's not as tough as Abby going over and over and over and over that little four-inch path. And you know what? That path is a lot of times like my heart. Because I can have a, a great backyard, a flourishing Christian life at times, but there are certain little areas where I can say, you know what? Those are mine. I'm not going to let God work in this little strip. And so other people may even look at us and say, man, you're doing great spiritually. And you know in your own heart, and only we can know some things, there's that little four-inch strip where you plant the flag of self and say, this is it. No matter how many times, no matter how much work, somebody might put into cultivating those four inches, you just keep pounding it out. And I do the same thing. That's hard ground. It doesn't mean the whole backyard isn't growing. It means there's a little strip that we claim for ourselves. And it grieves God's heart. Because He wants to see all of our heart flourish. Let's go to the next kind of ground. You might find yourself... In this first category, very easily. You might say, you know what, more than anything else, hard ground, that that is my heart. I just reject God and basically everything that God wants to sow in my heart. 
You might find yourself in the second category. You might find yourself, as I do, a little bit in each one of these grounds. And maybe at different times in different categories. Let's take a look at the second one. Matthew 13 says, The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Now, these are the kind of people that honestly excite preachers. Because you might be bringing a sermon or you might be just sharing one on one, maybe with your neighbor. And you're talking about something. You open up the word and the person says, golly, that is great news. You might go to a, a promise keepers or a women of faith or some other conference and say, my life is going to change from this moment on. You read a book and you say, I never heard anyone present it that way. I'm going to be a different kind of husband. My dating life will never be the same again. You receive the word with joy. And then what happens? Trouble and persecution comes. By the way, trouble and persecution doesn't come usually from the inside. Those words are referring to outside. Those might be your friends. Those might be your employees or employers. Those might be your neighbors, your relatives, your family. And when we start obeying the word, we respond that little bit. Next thing you know, people start harassing us. You're going to what? You're going to give this amount of your money to the church? Don't you want to go on a nice vacation sometime? Didn't you want that brand new? If you add up what you're giving to the church, those are car payments, buddy. You can have yourself a nice car. You can still go to church. But you can go to church in a nicer car. It'll make the parking lot look more beautiful. But God says, it's not just how we receive the word on the front end with joy. He says, does it take root? Are we able to go past, I know you did a series before on fear factor. Are we able to go past the fear of what other people will do to us? How they bug us. How they make us feel this big sometimes. Or stupid Somebody once said, you're going to be somebody's fool. Either you're going to obey the Lord and be the world's fool, or you're going to obey the world and be God's fool. So the question isn't, are you going to be a fool? The question is, whose kind of fool are we going to be? Who's going to put the label on us as a fool? Somebody will. In fact, if we try to serve both, both of them will think we're a fool. So we might as well pick one and go for it. Um, let's go on to the next type of soil. Next type of soil is thorny ground. The first one is just stony and there's no root. And you probably, you maybe have tried to plant stuff in that and you, you realize after you've planted it, the stuff starts growing up and one inch below the surface, there's this huge thing your shovel can't even penetrate. That's stony ground. Thorny ground is different. Matthew uh, 13, 22 says, The one who received the seed that fell among... I know what you mean about the lighting up here. <laughs> The one who sows the seed fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Notice the difference now. The first one was an external pressure. 
This one is coming from the inside. There's two things that stop this seed from growing. Number one is worries. Number two is not wealth. It's the deceitfulness of wealth. What is the deceitfulness of wealth? If I only had a little bit more, think of all the pleasure and comfort I could have. I will have peace of mind. And that's really what this is all about. I'm running a balancing act because what I want to do is run down the side of worry and bring up the side of pleasure. Reduce the pain, increase the pleasure. Does that sound like a pretty good formula for life? I don't know about you. I would not mind that kind of life. I would take a life that has much less pain and much more pleasure. Honestly, if you said to me, would you like to reverse the two? Any takers? Anybody would just want to go for the pain with no pleasure? I don't think so. What this is saying, though, is when we pursue that, either one of those two, and really that's why he puts it in a package deal. It's a matter of control. Who has control over my life? Am I going to try to control it by minimizing pain and gathering as much wealth as I can to stay in control? Or do I realize I'm not in control either way? One uh, one of the wealthiest people in the world was once asked, how much money does it take to make you happy? Anybody hear his answer? A little bit more. Just a little bit more. And this man was a billionaire. Just a little bit more. It will never bring happiness. Solomon, who had more money than almost, I was going to say one of my friends had more money than God. Well, not quite, but pretty close. Uh, As as human terms can uh, estimate, he said, I, I wish I could remember my creator when I was young because I've wasted my life. Even though he was the king of Israel, he did all these great things. He said, that's not where life is. This person who has this kind of heart doesn't discover that. They keep trying to grab control, as you and I sometimes do, of our life. If I could only reduce the amount of pain, if it means not being obedient then I'm going to not be obedient because I think it's going to bring pain. It's not going to get me what I want out of life. If it's going to mean reducing my sales or, or hurting my opportunities for promotion, I can't afford to be obedient because I need that raise. I need that money. I want that money. God says, though, not only the first category, but the second two don't bear any fruit. We can look at the first one and say, oh, man, what a sorry life. At least the next two, there's something started. But tell me, if you're a farmer and you're casting that seed, which one is most productive to you? Number one, number two, or number three? If you're a farmer, none of them. Who's the farmer in the passage? It's God. God is ultimately the one sowing the seed. And there's only one particular kind of soil that produces a blessing to the farmer. And that's the last soil. Let's take a look at it. The, all the, the first two, by the way, I think we have a passage from James. Let's take a quick look at it. When we're torn between one or the other, we remind, we're reminded by uh, James of what that's like. If any of you lacks wisdom... He should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. 
Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. If we have a fear of either what other people will do to us or our losing control of a situation, we run into the kind of stuff that James is talking about. And you've probably been in there in those sandals. You've been in those shoes where you realize, I just don't know what to do. My Christian faith and my Christian friends are encouraging this, but inside I feel like I need to do this. And we go back and forth and back and forth. And James says, if that's who you are, go to God. And I love that little phrase in there. He says, if you go to God, God will, without finding fault, give you wisdom. Isn't it nice? When we were a kid, didn't you just hate to go back to your dad when you knew you'd done something wrong and say, Dad, I realized you were right. What was going to follow that or your mom? What was going to follow in most cases? Well, son, that's what I tried to tell you. You know, if you'd only listened to me on the front end, you wouldn't be in this. Now, let's talk about anything. I don't even want to deal with that. I'll just go try to fix it on my own. God says, you go to him and say, God, I blew it. I've blown it. God says he will receive us without finding fault. Now, he knows everything. So it's not like he doesn't know the fault is there. He just doesn't throw it in our face. When we get to the point where we know we've done something wrong, God says, great, let's move forward. Let's deal with it and move on. Let's move on. To quickly summarize, we've got the hard ground where Satan attacks. We've got the stony ground where the world attacks. We've got the thorny ground where we basically attack ourselves. And isn't it interesting? Those are the same three things that appear over and over in Scripture. The world, the flesh, and the devil. There's only one kind of ground that actually produces fruit. Let's turn to it. Matthew 13. But the one who has received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And there's a lot of different fruit that we can see uh, as a result of that seed falling on good soil. There's, there's at least three different kinds that I can think of that Scripture tells us. One of them is the fruit of character, who we really are when no one else is looking. That's a work of God. And when we take credit for ourselves, we, we really hurt ourselves because God brings that out in our life. We yield to Him and He grows that in our life. There's another kind of fruit, and that's our conduct, that's our behavior. And we can see, some of you have seen a radical change in your behavior as we allow God to take that, that deeper root in the soil of our heart. The last one is converts. Uh, God speaks of the fruit of bringing people to Christ. And, and some of you are, are some of that fruit. Some of you are someone else's fruit. Ultimately, you're God's fruit. You ever think of yourself as a fruit? You are. <laughs> Um, but isn't it great to be someone else's encouragement that, you know what? I would not be here if it weren't for that person being obedient. And someone else down the road will not be here unless you and I are obedient and are faithful to receive the word and take care of those first three types of soil that might be ruining our heart. Because when God talks about a heart, he's not talking about emotions. 
When God talks about our heart, it's emotions, it's intellect, it's will, it's the whole of who we are. It's the very core of our being. We talk today about you know our hearts, and you know there's a I think there's a country western song that says you know if if you want a good cold beer, put it next to my ex-wife's heart. You know that's not that is not the kind of heart condition that we're talking about. It's the very core of who we are, how we make decisions. Okay. When God finds at the core of our being a heart that's receptive to the word, he says, that's where I promise I will produce fruit. Let's take a look at the last situation, because this one situation conquers the fears that the other ones don't. There's no opportunity for Satan to come in and snatch it. There's no opportunity for the stones because those stones have either been removed or they've been smashed, or one way or another, there are no stones involved. There's also no thorns, because somehow they have been either torn up, or, or pulled out, or maybe they've dried up. I don't know how. Different soils produce different things. But one thing we know, this is good ground. Take a look at that. Wouldn't you love to try your, your opportunity of planting in a nice row like that? Somebody's gone in there and prepared it. And you know what? None of our hearts are ready for the Lord by our own strength. Every single one of our hearts needs some kind of preparation because all of us come under the attack of the world, our own flesh, and Satan himself. Every single one of us. If we want to see fruit in our own life, we've got to turn it over to God because he can cultivate, he can break up a hard heart like he did with the Apostle Paul. He can deal with Satan because he already has. He can fight off our enemies because he is almighty. We sang about him this morning. As I was preparing this message, it occurred to me, the only reason we don't produce fruit in our lives is because we don't know God. We don't know enough to say, you know what? God can take care of that. God is bigger than I am. God's in control. I'm not. God's bigger than the people who might want to bring trouble in my life. God's all powerful. God can do it. Corrie ten Boom said, um, and you might not know her, but she lived um, in Nazi Germany. And she had almost everything in her life taken away from her. She ended up in a concentration camp. And she once said, she said, I've learned to hold all things loosely because it hurts too much when God has to pry my hands open. Let me ask you today, what is it that you are holding on so tightly that maybe God is going to have to pry open those hands unless you make that decision for yourself. It might be just coming to Christ. If that's what it is, you may find yourself in one of these types of soil, types of heart condition. What is it that might be keeping you back? If you turn your life over to Christ and trust Him and His work on the cross, dying for your sin, taking your place and bearing the, the price of sin on His own body and then being raised up. What He's done is He has already paved that path. That's a good kind of path. He's already paved that path so that we who believe in Him follow right after Him. He died for us, He was buried for us, and He was raised for us. You say, you know what? I, I'm already a Christian. But I still struggle with some of these things. I want to encourage you to not stay away from God. Don't fall into the trap of thinking, 
until I get this stuff right, I really can't go and just fall before the throne of God and, and have him accept me because he knows this stuff. Let me just give you a word of encouragement. He does know that stuff. And he longs for you to come to him on your knees so that he can take you and hold you close to himself. He doesn't want to push you away. We push God away. God never pushes us away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story. Thank you for this parable that ultimately doesn't talk so much about us, but about you. About the kind of heart that you want us to have. About how much you desire for fruit to be born in our lives. Father, we thank you for the love that you have already shown us. You don't have to prove it because you already have. Lord, I pray for each one of us who struggle with these different heart conditions. I pray that you would allow us to and welcome us as we bring these things before you. That that you would take our lives, whether they be hard or stony or thorny. And you would do the work that's necessary to cultivate our heart that we might bear fruit. We love you, Father, but we thank you for loving us so much more and first. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.